And welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by our dear friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I am joined here by my colleague and friend, Brian Fisher. Brian, uh, I see the lower third on your screen here says D1 ticker, but uh, I'm here. Industry sources are telling me that you also have another gig now. Let's uh, let's tell the people about that. Well, well, still, still with the tickers. I, I want to make that uh, very clear. Still doing this podcast. Still have uh, head coach you with uh, Bronco Mendenhall still going. That episode two uh, coming out uh, certainly by the time you are listening to this here podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited uh, to announce that I'm, I'm uh, one of Fox's new national college football writers. Uh, we're covering the sport, uh, you know, as need be. First column went up on Monday, and so it's excited to uh, to have a new writing home there with uh, with Fox. It's it's uh, um, you know really. Thrilled to not only join the company, but uh, you know, I think the the coverage that they have planned, um, you know, not just for this college football season but beyond, um, you know, is really exciting. We're I, I'm happy for you. I mean, I, I'm happy for consumers because this is a sign that Fox is staffing up a little bit more. Uh, I've written about this earlier. Their web presence for college football has not been what it used to be after some other corporate changes. It looks like there's, there's a little bit of a change in direction there. So it's wonderful. And it's wonderful we now get a chance to read you instead of just listening to you and watching you and, and seeing the, the, the backdrop there, which is, which is fun. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a fun time, I think, to get started uh, writing again because, boy, this was a profoundly stupid weekend. Um, big, I, I, I don't know, like, I, I would assume that, that Commissioner Gill down in New Orleans at the Sun Belt has to be like the happiest guy in the world after the past 36 hours, right? I hope he's, uh, I, everyone at Sun Belt HQ just has to be ecstatic because you knock out three gigantic premier programs. You get college game day the coming week. You're the toast of every college football hipster. And uh, your strategy for realigning your conference has already immediately paid gigantic dividends. Like what could possibly be better than that? Yeah, I mean that was uh, one of the, one of the things I wrote about in my my first column was uh, was the Sun Belt. I mean it was uh, just a, an excellent weekend, you know, for for the league itself. And I, I think to your point, really reaffirmed, you know, just kind of the strategies and everything that was going into, um, you know, making making a sure those universities fit. And um, I, I think at the end of the day, too, you know, I I did talk with Commissioner Gill. Uh, you know, he, it's funny because uh, one of the games that the, that he was going to attend was, was originally supposed to be on Friday, and, and it ended up getting moved because of TV uh, to Saturday. So he was actually supposed to be at that App State game, uh, but he he didn't end up making it. So he was actually listening along, uh, you know, celebrating and, and hooting and hollering as uh, App State pulled that off, on, listening to the Aggie Radio Network, which uh, was was a bit of a different tone than, than I think the uh, the Mountaineers did. Uh, yeah. I, I was actually driving down to the the BYU. Uh, Baylor game uh, to to, to uh, take that in in person um, on Saturday and uh, was was listening to the Mountaineers radio call uh, on, on the Varsity app and uh, you know just the, just the excitement you know they they, they the host there uh, mentioned you know I mean it was uh, kind of the the one B to the the uh, course App State Michigan game of being one A in terms of marquee wins in school history but it, but it didn't stop there I mean I, I think we were all kind of glued to the television watching Georgia State uh, pull off the upset against Nebraska we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Cornhuskers a little bit later but I I mean just a terrific day and then. 
then really the marquee win. I, I think it almost got overshadowed a little bit just because of all that was going on in, in college football and, and even the NFL, which was was a crazy on Sunday as well. But you know, Marshall to go into a, a hallowed venue like Notre Dame Stadium and, and to pull off a win like that against a team in the top ten, you know, really high hopes for the Irish. Even though you know, I think the offense wasn't quite what it, what it wanted to be uh, these first two games. You you, you would have thought, especially after playing Ohio State pretty pretty good, I think in the first uh, first half of, the, of that game, uh, just just to pull off a, a real shocker uh, in, in their first year in the league. Uh, I mean, just a terrific cap to uh, what was a, really a fun belt weekend. I, let's let's start first with the Notre Dame Marshall game. One of the things that I think is, uh, I don't know, maybe funny. I don't know, funny is exactly the right word. But we can use funny as somebody that that does like to poke fun at Notre Dame sometimes is that for being uh, as historic and elite of a program as Notre Dame is with all of the in, you know cachet that comes with that, they have some pretty hilarious losses as, 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 this, as this blue blood uh, you know, entity, right? This is a team um, that is, uh, I believe, winless. Yeah, winless against UConn that in recent memory has lost to Tulsa. Uh, has lost to South Florida, I believe. Am I, am I forgetting any other like especially funny um, Notre Dame losses? I know they, I know they, they lost to Cincinnati, but that wasn't that funny because lots of people lose to Cincinnati. They're 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 winless against Oregon State, uh, and now and now this is one of those things. And and I, I know that you can look at this and think, look, hey, Notre Dame's quarterback got injured. He's out for the likely the entire season now. Um, Notre Dame wasn't super healthy coming into this game. You, I think I think there was a weird pick six. So you can look at the, but but still, you should never lose. And they lost in a way that is not historically how you would expect a modern Marshall to spring one of these upsets. Like you know may, maybe I'm skewed a little bit, but if you told me that Marshall knocked off some big time power program, I would assume the score was in the 40s, not like both teams' offenses scored like 18 points. So one, I mean, very exciting for Marshall. They probably should be a top twenty-five program at this point. But Notre Dame still has like Clemson, and uh, they've got there's like two or three other like big programs left on the schedule. Like they might miss a bowl game, right? Like that's not impossible. It, it, it's fascinating to see how just kind of the tenor surrounding the Irish program has, has changed so dramatically just after after one loss. And 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 I mean, it, it's tough for, for Marcus Freeman. I mean, the first head coach at Notre Dame to start 0-3 and and three second-half-blown leads. I mean, that that's yep. not exactly what you want to do, especially this one being his, his first home opener. You would have thought, all right, we're, we're going to set kind of the, the tenure. We're going to get everybody kind of back and, and, and pointed in the right direction. And then, um, yeah, I mean, they, they were thoroughly outplayed. I mean, Marshall really put them behind the eight ball pretty much, you know, all all game long and it, it kind of felt like it was not just like they're hanging around they're hanging around no it, it, it's like the Irish better better get things going or else they're, they're going to lose this game and then you know down the stretch I mean Marshall just kind of kind of took control and it was just very impressive you know hats off to Charles Huff and, and everybody there uh you know at that Marshall program they, yeah. they turned over the roster quite a bit um you know kind of from year one to year two and and I I mean it's just uh uh, going into South Bend and 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 pulling off a shocker like that, I, I mean, you got to give them give them credit not just for the game plan that they had, but um, you know the, the, how, how tough they were, how physical, how, how they bounced back. If, if Notre Dame, uh, you know, threw counter punch, you know, Marshall was was right there, and um, you know it was uh, definitely one of the surprising results of of the weekend. And uh, I think, uh, like you said, I mean, they've got Clemson, they've got USC, they've got Stanford still on the schedule. They're, they're playing Cal this week, um, and yeah. even though they're their favorite at home, I mean that's. Uh, to be fair, Cal, you know, really escaped against Cal, UNLV this Cal, past weekend. So Cal sucks, but and but, they've got BYU in Las Vegas, which is going to be a home game yeah. for 
for for the for the Cougars secretly like now top twelve, top ten, maybe BYU coming in at that point. Not it's, great. It's, it you know I I think they'll still end up getting into a bowl game, but it's like you know you you kind of thought all right, well they they played Ohio State you know so close you know maybe this is you know they're they're turning a corner maybe they 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 can figure some things out on on offense. You know what you know looking at the schedule, all right, you're thinking all right maybe they can get back in the year six, and then this this just completely has have popped that bubble, um, and, and it's it's going to be a struggle. I mean the, their starting quarterback is now out for the season. You know they they've got to find some answers on offense. You know I, I think the offensive line is not playing quite as well as as it did a year ago. I, I think. They they've got some holes on defense. I mean, it's just kind of like as as much energy as as the program had going into the year. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of pieces done about Marcus Freeman and, and his kind of place and, and what he's done since taking over there. And there are a lot of good things that he's done, but at the end of the day, it's it's all about results on the field. And this kind of cast a shadow a, a little bit over over all those uh, those those pretty puff pieces from the the uh, off season. Um. To say that it's it's a little bit, I th- I think would be kind. Like this is I don't I don't I don't know if they're in like full meltdown mode here, but but yeah, you don't you, you don't get to do the GQ cover and and talk about a, a new program here when you have, are now zero and two and staring down a complete offensive identity crisis and having to redo everything and with with things looking very difficult up ahead. Um, I mean, you mentioned that BYU game. I mean, there, you remember the the kind of video and photo shoot that they had in, in Las Vegas to uh, to announce uh, that was part of the Shamrock series. Like, you know, you thought, oh, all right. So this is kind of the the cool Marcus Freeman, right? And and now he's he's dealing with it, and uh, his staff is going to have to deal with it. You know, I think there was a lot of yep. euphoria about a lot of those guys remaining. Uh, you know, when Brian Kelly left, but uh, now you kind of thinking. Maybe maybe it wasn't so bad if, if some of those guys would would left and we get some new blood uh, into the program and um, you know we'll, we'll see I think they are a little bit behind the eight ball there's not really that explosive receiver that can kind of change the game um, you know they've been missing that for a couple of years that's uh, been been one area where they need to beef up in recruiting but uh, it, it's it's going to be fascinating to kind of follow this because as we know you know win win or lose Notre Dame is is a story in college football and it is certainly the one of these stories uh, this past weekend. I want to talk a little, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways we could branch off into this here. We, we could talk about the game that you went to, but before we, we, get, we get into something local, stepping back from Marshall, but going back to the Sun Belt there for a second, it's, it's easy for us, and especially an idiot like me, I think, to dramatically overreact to limited data set. And we have two weeks, and based on the two weeks of data, Everyone sucks except for Georgia, uh, Wake Forest, Kentucky, and Syracuse, right? And, and I, I think I think I got that right. But I mean, obviously, for, for one conference at the high end, you, nobody in the G five really experiences like like what the what the Sun Belt has had right here. Are we collectively overreacting to this, given that there's going to be a different storyline now in a week, and that Nebraska and Notre Dame could potentially be terrible? Or does this signify something a little bit more significant, you think, for, for the Sun Belt, if, if nothing else for the rest of this year, to, to, to pick up wins like this and have Coastal still as, as a fringe top 25 team as well? Well, you know, Coastal actually struggled uh, quite a, quite a bit with uh, I believe Gardner Webb this this past oh, weekend. Yeah. But I mean, you look at you look at the Sun Belt, and, and they've not they've kind of been building towards moments like this. I mean, they, they've always been a challenging out. You know, I, I think from a, a recruiting perspective, from a development perspective, they've gotten transfers down from, from the Power Five level. Um, you know, Chase Bryce, the the App State quarterback, a, a great example, certainly saved Clemson's bacon in, in a year that they won the national title. You know, didn't really work out for him as 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 the Duke starter, but um, he, he's found a home, made some big time throws, not only in, in that game 
against A&M, but uh, you know, the, the week prior against North Carolina. And, and I think what it really kind of reaffirms to me is that uh, these are programs kind of building for success. You know, they really want to make sure that the infrastructure is in place, that they've hired great coaches. I mean, that's uh, a bit of an underrated factor, I think, with, um, you know, the Sun Belt. It's just how uh, even with guys, you know, getting picked off and, and going to Power 5 programs, they've been able to uh, pretty effortlessly, for, for a lot of cases, um, you know, transition to new guys coming in and sending them along their ways. So, you know, look, App State's a great example. I mean, you had Scott Satterfield, um, you know, really help build that program as they transitioned into the FBS, got some some big marquee wins over Power 5 opponents himself. Uh, you know, Eli Drinkwitz comes in and wins as, as well, gets the Missouri job. And, um, you know, I, I think that the same is, is true with uh, Coastal. You know, Jamie Chadwell is a name we're, we're going to hear quite a bit. Uh, this coaching carousel of uh, Coastal has another good season. And uh, I, I think it's the same all around the league. Um, you know, Billy Napier choosing to stay in the Sun Belt, uh, you know, for, for a couple of years, not jump to, to an Auburn, not jump to some of these other schools, wait for, for the right opportunity to come along at Florida. I think it does speak to how seriously a lot of these universities take football, how much they want to invest in, in, in a lot of their programs, how much the fan support kind of really drives uh, a, lo- a lot of those athletic department decisions. And um, it, it's paying off in, in wins like this. And uh, it wasn't too long ago that uh, this was the, the worst FBS conference, but they've made it a priority to invest in football. And uh, you're seeing the, the payoff in weekends like this. It is a good point, And it, it's, I don't like to get too caught up about the which conference is better discourse, um, but 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 you're you're particularly because some of this can be really transient. Like the the example that I think of was, it wasn't that long ago, that there was a, a minute where the conventional wisdom was that the Pac-12 had either the best group of coaches in all of college football or the the second best. This was I want to say right when Arizona hired Rich Rodriguez. Oregon was cooking. USC was was cooking ish. Stanford Stanford was at the peak of Stanford's powers. There wasn't really a a, a too many weak links. Um, and then of course a lot of those hires didn't pan out. Uh, money didn't work. Recruiting didn't work. What have you? Most of those guys left after three years. And now the conventional wisdom and one that's that's borne out by most advanced stats is this is the worst Power Five conference. And that change happened in like five six years. Uh, I was th- I, I was actually just thinking about this because last week. Well, this is partly for a story, partly because I'm just a degenerate. I fired up my old Xbox and I was playing through some NCAA football 2014, uh, which is based on the 2013 rosters. And then there, the Sun Belt is overwhelmingly the worst conference. And the, 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 the ratings and the infrastructure for Sun Belt institutions relative to Conference USA or even the MAC, by and large, and, and accurately depicted where things were. Now, I think it is not only reasonable to say... Sunbelt is that's completely eclipsed Conference USA, which would have been not true four years ago or even three years ago. I think there's a real question to say, in three years, is this a better football league than the American? Or and is it a better all-sports league than the American, considering what the Sunbelt can bring to the table in soccer and in softball and in baseball? I mean, in basketball, I don't think that's close. I think the, I think the American throws what's, what the current Sunbelt into a garbage can. But in other sports, that that's a that's a different kind of conversation. And if that's true, then maybe we should interrogate whatever assumptions we might have about what the Mountain West looks like or what the current Big Twelve looks like, because everyone, if I feel like, is is one inspired athletic director, one rich donor, and one coaching hire away from vaulting into a completely different station. And some of those Sunbelt programs really hit on multiple one of those in a row. Some places didn't, but. I mean, if we knew exactly what 2026 looked like, extra points would be a hell of a lot more expensive. 
Well, I mean, look at Louisiana and, and how they've yeah. kind of benefited. I mean, they've they've built up facilities. They they've gotten naming rights for their stadiums. You know, like it, it it's been an entire enterprise, and uh, a lot of it focused on football. But you mentioned uh, soccer. I mean, this is uh, one of the powerhouse leagues now. You know, they, they've added national championship programs, and uh, you know, literal I, I think national they're championship be really competitive. Programs. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I think they're going to be quite competitive in, in a lot of those other sports, and uh, they, they've definitely benefited. I think the last you know decade or so, you know, just like the SEC has, just in terms of population shifts. You know, well, not all those kids out of Atlanta can go to you know an SEC school, and if they want to stay somewhat close, or or they want to go away for for college and then kind of come back uh, a little bit closer to home, there's there's a lot of Sun Belt programs there. You know, I think they uh, more than anything, I think understanding the the universities, a lot of these college towns that they're they're in has helped tremendously for for a lot of the coaches that. Have have had success finding the right kind of people. And um, you know what? They've, um, I, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, we, Georgia Southern, you know, we, we thought for for years and years and years, you know, so, associated them with, um, you know, that triple option. But, uh, you know, you just saw them going up and down the field there in Nebraska, you know, throwing the, throwing the ball all over the yard uh, with Kyle Van Treese. I mean, that was, um, you know, quite a performance. And, and they've, they've been able to change and adapt and, and kind of, um, you know, make make changes where, where they're needed. And uh, it, it's fun to, fun to watch. And, and I think that, that closing the gap, um, you know, with with the uh, American is going to be very interesting, even just this year. You know, I mean, this is a, a league that if somebody kind of goes, you know, a, you know a, an 11 and one, 12 and one and, and wins the league. There's a potential just given the amount of uh, power five victories that everybody's wrapped up, even in the just to the East uh, division al- alone. Um, you know, you could think, you know, maybe they, they are the kind of group of five bid uh, Steelers that uh, can can wrestle it away from the American or even the Mountain West. Um. I want to I want to shift I shift something here because I, I don't I don't have a good a good segue for this. I want to very briefly talk about the game that you went to, and part of that is because I went to bed in the third <laughs> quarter. Uh, I, I thought about texting you and, and just saying you know you should have stayed up. But, I, I'm, but, uh, I'm sure, I totally understand. I, I'm sure I, I'm sure I should have it. it you know I, I got to be honest. The game that I was watching, it looked extremely. This is BYU Baylor, and, and if if you're listening here, um, looked very violent. It didn't, the two and a half quarters that I watched, I wouldn't say this was ex- exceptionally well played on both sides of the ball, but certainly exciting. But I don't get paid to watch every single one of those anymore. <laughs> and at that point, because it was, you know, midnight 30, God's time zone, I went to bed. I apparently missed quite a banger. Uh, was it double overtime that this went to? Yep. Uh, BYU, BYU. BYU wins 26 to 20. You had special teams hijinks. You had a couple of big broken plays. You had the emotional redemption story of a kicker. Um, and in a, a gigantic win, what what did what was your what were your impressions both of 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 I guess of, of that on the field and what might be maybe a, a very unique a rivalry even feels like a fun a weird word for it because by all um, indications these teams like each other too much to be really rivals which feels like that that can, is it possibly sustainable. Friendly rivals, for for sure. Like I, I do feel like there needs to be some ecclesiastical trophy that they can battle for, or something that can 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 really put a stamp on on Big Twelve rivalries. Because you know, I, I think it, it is funny because uh, we was ta- talking to somebody the other day just how like you know when you do move to to some new leagues, how how it does take time to kind of develop that, but. 
you know, it, it does feel like maybe BYU and, and, and Baylor will, will have a little bit of rivalry because, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the Bears, you know, won in Waco last year, um, you know, pretty convincingly. Kalani Sataki kind of said, you know what, this is going to be a bit of a measuring stick uh, game, not just in terms of progress we've made as a program, but, you know, going into the year, the league next year in terms of, uh, hey, that's that's the Big 12 champ. There's who we got to measure ourselves up. And uh, I, I was very impressed by by the Cougars in particular, just along the lines of scrimmage. I mean, they, they've got the guys that are uh, very long and, and lengthy and, and six, seven and six, eight and, and not just the, the tackles out there, but, you know, uh, the, the defensive line, the linebackers, they were flying around and, uh, you know, was very much an, an evenly matched game. I think the difference was, was Jaron Hall at quarterback. You know, that was, um, you know, the Baylor, did, their, their quarterback just did not kind of make the throws that you expected. They were uh, both teams really unable to run the ball. But, um, you know, I was very impressed by, by BYU. They, they looked like they they belonged uh, in, in the Big 12 and, um, you know, Getting the getting the wins as as they did, uh, you know they they missed the kick, they go into overtime, but um, you know they make a defensive stand uh, kind of down the at the end and uh, you know punch it in. Uh, it, it it was just a big win, you know for for everybody there. And uh, I, I think it, it was a late night. I mean they they ended up playing on Sunday. Uh, both schools, um, you know, probably probably not thrilled at that, but you know it, it was a very late night. Fans rushed the field, and uh, that was the first top ten win that they've had since 1990. Um, so a big thing for the program there. Wait, and, and that- I, that can't be right. They beat they beat Oklahoma. Top ten home win. Oh, top 10 okay. Home win. I was thinking of the Oklahoma. Sorry, should have, should have clarified. They, they, you know, Kalani, uh, I guess 2018, they, they beat Wisconsin, which was ranked in the top ten. So um, they, they've done it before, yeah. but uh, at, at home, it's it's been a while uh, there in Provo. So uh, you can understand them, them rushing the field. And I mean, I mean, I actually did ask, uh, you know, some some of the staff members there there at uh, BYU if if they they even considered painting the Big Twelve logo, you know, on the on the field for this one, but uh, they, they 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 declined. But uh, it, it was a, a good showing. Um, you know, I think against as they kind of go into the league and, and really build, build momentum. I mean, this is still a very difficult schedule. You know, they've yeah. got to play at Oregon this week. Um, you know, they've got Arkansas coming to town in, in uh, mid-October. So, like, you know, the schedule is still tough enough to where even a New Year's Six Bowl, is, it might be out of reach, you know, if they, they lose a, tuple, a couple of uh, tough games. But, um, you know, this is a, a very encouraging sign in terms of making sure you're, you're ready to compete. I, I think if you look at, at Utah's, um, you know, a couple of miles to the north, they were not quite there in terms of you know depth and and building along the the lines, um, making that transition from the Mountain West to the Pac-12. But over time, that they built it up, and, and I think that's something that um, you know this program has has kind of said you know in, in the back of our minds, we we got to be right there, and uh, they they certainly were on Saturday against Baylor. I am also not buying BYU as a championship contending program. And a big part of that is I'm always concerned about their depth, especially because I feel like BYU hasn't gone through an entire year with a quarterback not missing time yeah. uh, since the Paleolithic era. And and the but 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 I will say like the, the depth on this roster now compared to where it was like four years ago much better place. Well, um, I mean they, they missed their first, top two receivers were out for this game and uh, and you know still what? do and it yeah they, and they they still the uh, you know the, the third third uh, string wide receiver ended up you know throwing a touchdown pass made some some great plays along the sidelines so um, you know they they have guys that that stepped up but um, yeah I think that that depth component is is certainly where when you're talking about just consistently having to play these games especially late in the season Oct- late October into into November uh, that depth. That depth certainly matters, and uh, you know that's something that, that BYU will, will come to find out. Did you get a cougar tail when you were there? You know what? I, I saw all, everybody talking about it because of the, the broadcast, and, and I yeah. did not, although I, I feel like I, I should have gone downstairs and, and, and gotten one. I, I, I had no idea they, I, I had no idea about the concept. I had to, had to kind of like Google it uh, once yeah. I got back, and I kept seeing everything. But I, I'll, I'll let you fill everybody in in terms of how good they are. No, so here's the thing. I've never had one either because I, I've actually only covered Y games – on the road or on neutral sites. 
my wife, when she was a student there, worked in the catering department and helped make them. And oh, okay. I am I am told. I mean, people. I mean, this this is one of the the things in this market that 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 people brag about. Next time you go, if you if you cover another one, somebody should go downstairs and bring one up, or somebody in the football operations staff should should bring one up there. It is, as I understand it, just a maple bar, but like quadrupled in size. It's a it's a big axe, <clears throat> a very large maple log. And during the broadcast, you see, you see this because they were basically passing it around the stands. It says the the Mormon equivalent of puff puff pass, um, where you're <laughs> just taking a bite and and passing it around. So was it the most hygienic thing? Don't tell my ecclesiastical authorities I know what Puff Puff Pass is. Um, maybe not so hygienic, but I, if you have one of these for yourself or splitting it with somebody that maybe you know has passed a COVID test recently, I'm told they're very good. Something, something to think about next time you're in the press box. Um, you know what else is very good, Brian? Uh, you know what? It might, it might be our sponsor, Home Field Apparel. That's exactly right. It is our sponsor, Home Field Apparel, because Home Field Apparel makes extremely good, comfortable, Officially licensed vintage apparel, whether that's t-shirts, whether that's sweatpants. We're getting close to sweatpants season up, uh, up here in Chicago. Today was like in the in the mid-60s. I actually had to wear a hoodie. They make hoodies too and uh, all manner of, uh, of apparel, right? And what's great about Homefield is that it isn't just that the shirts are extremely soft and comfortable uh, and they are flattering if you are shaped like I am, if you look like a person that enjoys exercise and also enjoys eating an entire pizza in, in one sitting, in one sitting uh, home field helps. But the designs are not just the same three things you see in every university bookstore. It's all the weird logos from like the 1960s that people tried to hide that the, the CLC is not trying to, to throw everywhere in the world. Homefield got them and they look great. Great conversational pieces. Uh, great if you want to show that you are a more sophisticated fan than everybody else. Uh, today, I'm wearing a shirt to talk uh, to celebrate a team that I think we're going to talk about here in a second, Nebraska. Um, it's a shirt that says Bug Eaters, because that's what Nebraska used to be. And Brian is wearing Joseph the Appalachian State Mountaineer, which is a delight. An example of the kind of shirt that I would buy. If more of you cheapskates subscribe to this newsletter so I could spend more money on t-shirts uh, instead of things like infrastructure and travel. I'm kidding. You're not all cheap sticks. I love all of you. If you want to go buy some home field stuff, which if you haven't done it at this point after you've been showing for these guys for like seven months, I don't know what to tell you other than please buy some home field stuff and then buy a subscription to Extra Points. If that's you, Use promo code extra points, all one word. Save 15% off your first order. They've got just about every single school you could possibly care about, and they're going to be announcing some more fun refreshes and new G5 programs over the coming months. Find it all at homefieldapparel.com. Um, also, friends, uh, we are in the process of selling out our ad inventory for the rest of September. We have only a couple of slots left in early October as well on the Extra Points newsletter. If you want to reach 11,000 and growing uh, diehard sports fans, college sports, thought leaders, administrators, uh, media executives, reporters, the whole, the whole shebang, uh, as well as thousands of listeners here on Going For Two, drop me a note at matt at extrapointsmb.com. The sales package is cheaper than you might think. I would love to as enthusiastically shill for your thing as we do for our friends at Home Field Apparel. Uh, I wanted to bring out the Nebraska shirt here because, Brian, before we wrap up here, I think we, we do need to talk about Scott Frost Day. The first coaching firing of this season, um, it is pretty rare to fire a coach before 
October 1st if there isn't a scandal involved. And it's, I think, especially shocking that Nebraska did this now because it was going to be like, what, $7 million cheaper if they had waited just two and a half weeks? That feels a little, it feels a little bit fiscally irresponsible, though I'm sure that Trev Alberts is not dipping into the general scholarship fund to pay this. I'm sure that Larry the Cable Guy and three other rich people in Nebraska got together to go end this right now. Um, but it does feel pretty surprising. And I don't know if accelerating the coach high firing timetable this quickly. I know um, the UConn made, made a, a decision on a similar timetable last year. I don't know if that's like good governance. Not that not that I don't think Scott Frost should have been fired, but uh, you, you know, you know what I mean. Like this, this is this is very soon to do it. Well, you know, Clay Hilton was uh, pretty much almost to the day. It was uh, fired, you know, by USC and uh, ends up being the final nail in the coffin for for Scott Frost. So maybe a, a little bit, uh, you know, the coaching cycle coming full circle there. But you know, you're right. I, I mean, it would have been seven and a half million dollars of savings, which I think really around the industry, especially after the the way you know that Northwestern loss happened. You know how how they played an FCS team so close last week. You know, it, it felt like. Everybody knew where this was headed, and, and I think that's yeah. kind of why Trev Alberts, you know, ultimately ended up making the change. I mean, they're, they're, the support there just was 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 had evaporated for Scott Frost. You know, I think there was, you know, a lot of people wanted him to do well. He was a beloved alum. You know, had you know had those ties to the glory days where, where where the school was winning national championships, and everybody kind of thought this was a home run hire. I mean, he led uh, UCF from from no wins to you know an undefeated season, and uh, you know kind of had the exciting offense. And you thought, all right, some some more recruiting ties to the state of Florida would have been great because uh, that really did power them uh, back in the 90s uh, in terms of some of their um, you know marquee players and you just thought this was you know perfectly set up for him to win and I was actually uh, you know asking a couple of coaches you know around and, and they all kind of thought the same thing they thought this should have worked and it didn't and um, you know I think ultimately Nebraska whether it's uh, paying that extra seven and a half million dollars I mean a lot of it was just simply you know what we, it's time we, we got to move on and uh, you know Trevor Alberts kind of spoke on, spoke to that a little bit on, on Sunday you know at, at the press conference they're, they're going to pay Scott Frost the full 15 million dollar buyout you know they're, they're not going to try to negotiate anything or, or cut any corners um, you know this is a school that's building a 160 plus million dollar football facility so I think they got some change line around for it but um, at this point it's really just kind of about the team to kind of salvage things and I, I think that is kind of the the underrated storyline that probably is not getting uh, reported all that much I mean uh, that street that sellout streak that dates back to 1962 everybody in the department uh, it is is so invested in keeping that thing going. They they don't want it to end under under their watch, and I think you know losing to a, a Georgia Southern can kind of understand where the ticket sales might be slow, how much more effort you got to, to get to, you know, get people out to games, you know, and, and I think that uh, was a contributing factor, you know, just kind of lifting this cloud uh, out from, from over the program. Going to be some great big eight memories this week with Oklahoma coming to town. Um, but, but beyond that, you know, like when, when in Indiana or, you know, the, the Rutgers, I actually don't, I don't know who their schedule is, but you know, when Northwestern or, or Iowa or some, you know, some of these te- big 10 teams uh, come to play and it's late in the season and, and there's still that specter of, of Scott Frosting, are, are, are you really going to make the drive down from Omaha to, to go to attend a game when you can watch it on TV? Like that, that's kind of some of the other pressures uh, that, that I think the athletic department was, was dealing with in making this move now. And it uh, does set up for a very active coaching cycle. You know, I, I think this is going to be uh, one of the marquee jobs, you know, that, that is going to be open. I think everybody kind of expects Auburn to be the other one, but um, when you can get out into the market a little bit earlier, you can do some more research, you can get, get things going and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see the ultimate direction. I know everybody's got their names, but uh, I'm fascinated to see um, really how how Nebraska moves forward because they got a lot 
lot going for it. They're in the Big Ten. So they, they're cashing those big checks. We mentioned the facilities piece. You know, like the, there's a pretty, pretty hefty NIL operation there, um, you know, that they, they've got going on. So I, I feel like, you know, Nebraska is well positioned and uh, it's going to be very curious to see what direction they go in terms of uh, Scott Frost replacement. I want to, a, 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 a couple of things, I think, in, 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 re, in response to that. I understand the idea here that after the Northwestern game, you, you decide, okay, this this is untenable, um, and maybe it took two weeks just to raise that the last bit of money. I think I'm coming around to the idea that if you d- are making the decision you have to fire somebody by week three, you should have fired them last year. Um, because yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, and especially because the major argument for not firing them last year was to save some money, which, w- which would make sense. Scott, obviously means a lot to a lot of people within the Nebraska community. So to cut bait after three weeks, I feel like shows that you weren't that committed to that decision in the first place. Either like either execute that strategy, see it all the way through. I mean, candidly, I don't know if there's a big difference in the candidate pool Nebraska is going to attract in September 15th versus October 2nd. It's the same 10 guys. I don't think anybody else they're competing with is likely to make a, a fire somebody by then. But it's not my money, right? If I'm somebody who's rich enough that I can write a $800,000 check to help the pool to give Nebraska a two-week head start on trying and failing to hire uh, Campbell, great. You can do that. The The other question, the other point there I think is is – Super fascinating about this idea of how good is this job, and I, I you everything that you mentioned there makes a ton of sense. It is it's, this is a program that has one a I think slept on sophisticated NIL operation. Open Doors is is like is, is as tied to Nebraska as it as anything else. Huddle is down the street, like it, in, in terms of not just like collectives which Nebraska has, but in terms of like NIL data and NIL expertise and like the department that was really first to market there. That's Nebraska, um, and I, I that is something that that they are selling and unquestionably can continue to sell in uh, in recruiting. It, the fact that it hasn't maybe worked is maybe a, a data point that. NIL is not everything if everything else isn't working out, right? But, like, you, you do have that. You've got the Big Ten checks. You've got a gigantic brand. You've got a gigantic stadium. You've got a, a, a gajillion fans. And you have good facilities. You're not going to win a national championship in Nebraska. And this is something that I think the the coastal and Midwestern and Southern college football media realized much quicker than Nebraska did and certain Nebraska fans. And Nebraska's, I'll just say it, legendarily Homer local media contingent. Um, At this point, I think expectations are going to be closer to right-sized. But I don't look at anything that Wisconsin or Iowa have done over the last 10 years and think Nebraska can't do that. Nebraska's budget is pretty close to Wisconsin's. In-state high school football in Nebraska, despite being a smaller state, is pretty comparable to Wisconsin. It's, It's often better than Iowa's. Um, and I, you know, Nebraska has been able to recruit in California. They've been able to recruit in, 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 in Texas on, on, on some level, depending on who they hire. Maybe you get more aggressive in Ohio. Um, I guess the question is, are you willing to, the, the right guy, are you willing to come here? Probably need a little bit of time to rebuild the roster. I don't think this is a, a plug and play situation and be okay with winning capital one bolts. Because if, if, if you are, and if you want to come and make $7 million and be ranked 18 and make the Capital One Bowl, which would uh, is what made Nebraska fans lose their minds a decade ago, I think that is attainable, 
and, and, and you shouldn't apologize for having those expectations. And you can do that. If that's not something that you're okay with, then, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. Unless, unless you're going to, you're going to, you know, flood some rivers and, and create coastal property in Nebraska that doesn't exist. I, that's to, to me, to me, that's, that, that's the, that's the big question. Like I, Nebraska fans think they're getting urban Meyer. Like, no, stop that. But, uh, but I, I, I would disagree. I would push back a little bit on that. I, yeah. I think expectations among the fan base have, have definitely become more realistic than they were uh, not only when, when Scott Frost was hired, but, you know, kind of even before that. I, I, I think they understand that, um, you know, this is not a national championship winning program. But at, at the same time, you know, you mentioned Nebraska, Wisconsin. I mean, they're not only conference peers, but. Northwestern's been to the Big Ten title game, you know, two uh, two out of the last what four years. So like they, they can have that level of success. You can make you know conference title games, and with a twelve team playoff, you know what? Sneaking in there as as a twelve seed, like that's not completely unrealistic. And now winning the national title, yes, and, and I think the the fan base has has understood that. But um, you know, this is a, a passionate uh, fan base that they, they they want. Big Red to do well, and more than anything, they they just want you know consistency. I, th- I think it's just frustration really over, over um, how things have gone really ever since uh, you know letting Frank Solich go and and firing Bo Pelini is is like that they would like a head coach to kind of be the the right type of figurehead and and just win decent games. You know, beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. Like, there's no reason you should be losing to Illinois as much as Nebraska has these last couple of years. There's no reason that in close games in the fourth quarter you continually make mistakes. Special teams like has been a disaster the last couple of years and it has not gotten any better like it's just the consistency of the same mistakes playing out time after time and not getting fixed i think that um you really has, has driven the frustration up the wall not only just a, um, among the fan base but certainly the administration that's why they, they pulled this uh you know move and, and uh, are eating the additional seven and a half million dollars i mean this is um you know really i, I think still an attractive job you know for, for a lot of those reasons that you uh listed but it, it, it's also i think um you know understanding the the new landscape of, of college football. You know, this is uh, going to be a new Big Ten. They're going to be playing uh, USC and UCLA a little bit more. You know, I think divisions are obviously kind of going to go away. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there, there's no reason to think that Nebraska, with its history, with its resources, with a good coach, you know, just being average, just being average Nebraska, uh, cannot consistently beat, you know, a Maryland and a Rutgers and, and a Northwestern. Like, that. that's where they need to at least get back to, to start with and then we can start talking about higher expectations which you know I, I think nebraska fans hold out hope for one day but they're realistic at where the program is right now and i i think just given the market itself you know where really there's only auburn and a lot of coaches view that with i'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole you know but just because of the alignment issues there at the administration you're going to get that at nebraska you know, i i do think having yeah. trev albert somebody who has that link to the past um you know that is very good with boosters i mean he's been an ad for for a long time before taking that that job there in lincoln um, and, you know, he, he knows what he's doing in terms of running a football program. He knows what it looks like to, to win a, at the highest level. I think that can be a benefit for for the next head coach working with somebody like that. And so I, I think it does make for a very unique search, you know, just in terms of where we're at in college football and, and where kind of Nebraska is at on, on this kind of wheel of, uh, you know, spinning doom that they've they've been on the last four or five years. That, and uh, the, the wheel of doom has been longer. I, I would imagine for as much as I've teased the, this fan base, some of that deserved, some of that admittedly probably not. It ha- would have to be just spectacularly frustrating to root for this program because, you know, to your point, it's been the same mistake. And the mistakes of the Riley era and of the Pelini era and of the Callahan era and of this era are not the same mistakes. 
Nebraska has has been bad in different and unique ways through all four of those. But the way that they have been bad and struggled in this era specifically has been exactly the same. And that would be maddening, right? It's, it's just like Iowa right now with, with their offense. You know, like the, the same frustrations there that are, are, are present in Iowa City. It's just like, how can we continue to put this product out in the field and, and not change? It's like the old uh, joke about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. Nebraska knows that all too well. I, Iowa, they, they know that all too well. I mean, it, it almost feels like it's kind of uh, inherent in terms of the, the, the Big Ten West at this point. But uh, a lot of these programs, you can sense the frustration in the fan base because, you know, these fans are getting smarter. They're, they're watching videos like, you know, they're, they're seeing these breakdowns. They understand that, um, you know, in college football nowadays, the, the, the fans themselves are much more educated. And to see these mistakes play out time after time after time, it does does get extra frustrating for them. I do not know who ends up getting this particular job. Um, at this point, I, I, any of the names you're going out there, this is just something that an agent has texted to a couple of national reporters and thrown out. Uh, ask me in three or four weeks. I am. I, I the one thing I would say is like I feel confident that whoever that they decide to bring on, or even go internal if if, if the program rebounds a little bit, will lose uh, in a different way. Uh, and and, and you know, hopefully for them, they, they win more often than they have been. But like I, I feel pretty confident that it's not going to be the the Scott Frost era again and again and again. Um, we have kind of a, a, a weird week coming in here, recording this here on a Monday, because I am headed to D.C. Uh, tomorrow morning. I'm going to be there doing some serious professional journalism. I will come back on Thursday, so recording there would be a little bit difficult. I'll be on the road. Uh, are you going on the road again this weekend to go for uh, for any games, or where are you going to be the next few days? No, I, I looked at the slate this this uh, Saturday, and I said, you know what, this is a good good time to be at home. Uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those weeks, and, and it kind of was last week in terms of, you know what, there's not those marquee games, but that's that's when the chaos happens, and uh, I kind of feel like we, we might get the the replay of that uh, this weekend. But nothing kind of rose to the level of of kind of getting me off the uh, uh, you know the home office setup just because I can see so much more. You know, I, I do feel like that was a big thing when you know driving down to, to BYU, and it's like you know when, when you leave and you you got to get through traffic and you got to get to the the game so early. And and then like you're only limited really to to watching like maybe maybe a game and a half uh, in, in addition to the one right in front of you. Um, so it's just so much easier at, at home at times. So I'm going to going to stay home. But, uh, you know, uh, some more columns on, on Fox Sports dot com. And uh, I'm excited because it's uh, it, the football season. Now that now that we've had the upsets and we have the chaotic week, like, you know, it does feel like we're, we're starting to settle in uh, to what could be a, a very wild ride. I mean, we we. So many bubbles have been burst. I mean, everybody kind of thought this was going to be, you know, Alabama cakewalking uh, to the national title again. That 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 narrative has changed just a little bit uh, based on what happened down there in Austin. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how our, our opinions change of teams as we get uh, that extra data point this Saturday. Um, you can find all of that uh, on both Collegiate Sports Connect, where we have uh, some of, of more of Brian's interview work. I think we should have some more stuff from me later this week. Uh, you'll have my dispatches from Washington, D.C. at extrapointsmb.com. Um, I would say, I would say, yeah, looking at the schedule, this does seem like to be a good week to uh, catch some of the app game and then uh, be a involved husband and father and catch up on some things around the house. But I also would have said that last week and then shit got crazy. So there's probably going to be some other stupid game that happens here because that is what happens to the sport. I don't know. Maybe Toledo and Ohio State are tied into the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, I don't know how good Toledo is. Hopefully not for your your sake. Oh boy, hopefully hopefully not for my sake too. Although although, you know, there's nothing nothing wipes the frustration from a kind of uneven performance over Arkansas State 
one of that none of that wipes gets wiped out of your mind more than um, watching everybody else kind of play with their food and lose. It's 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 uh, it's better to win by 28 and leave something hanging than you know to lose to Marshall. Uh, folks, thanks for listening and everything. Uh, check out our dear our friends at homefieldapparel.com. We will catch up with you again soon. Thanks for listening.